Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Conversations on Care, a Facebook talk show bringing together service providers, clients, and caregivers to help families better understand and cope with aging parents with chronic care needs. My name is Julie Collada, and I am the founder and president of Open Arms Solutions. And Open Arms is a home care agency serving the Chicagoland area, focusing on inspired home care solutions for seniors with chronic care needs, such as dementia, Parkinson's, and other movement disorders. It is our mission to help families through this journey and to know that their loved one is living their best life possible. If you find these dialogues helpful, please give us a like and a share, <clears throat> excuse me, so that we can reach more people who need it. If you have any questions on topics you'd like to learn more about, please write them in the chat box in the comments below and we will do our best to uh, fit them into our, our Facebook Live program. With me today is Emily Mizell of Family Service of Glencoe. Emily is a senior program manager and a licensed clinical social worker there. And our topic today is an important one, how to help your communi community be more dementia friendly. Welcome, Emily. It's really, really nice to have time to talk with you and learn more about what you're doing in, the, in our community. So thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Julie. I'm so happy to be here this morning. Thank you very much. I'd love to ask people who are on this program, because I know everyone's interested to know, um, what started on your, you, on your journey to become a, a clinical licensed social worker and then ultimately in your role at Family Services of Glencoe? Yeah, well, the journey to get here has been an interesting one. Um, you know, I went to college for social work, uh, psychology and thought I wanted to be a social worker. It's kind of embedded in me. My father is a licensed clinical social worker as well. And I was very blessed to be raised by four grandparents um, who mm -hmm. lived in Northbrook and they were a huge part of my life. Um, they participated in everything and they really inspired me. My grandfather had multiple sclerosis and he lived in a nursing home when I was, you know, eight years old. And I used to visit when I'd come to town and I enjoyed being in those nursing homes so much. Uh, I used to feed him, take him on strolls. And then I ended up just engaging with all the residents there. So I really have always felt comfortable with the older adult population. I ended up doing an internship at a nursing home, skilled nursing facility, and then went back to get my master's in social work. I run memory care communities. I worked on the Alzheimer's Association helpline, a 24-hour line where people could call if they had questions. I've always really felt connected to the older population. And then personally, my grandfather was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 20. 11 and then he passed away in 2016 and now my um, maternal grandmother has vascular dementia and is living in a memory care community so you know professionally and personally it hits close to home yeah absolutely and it's um you know you and i were chatting about our different paths and what got us to where we are today right and our paths mm -hmm. almost crossed a little bit where right. my mom is one in one of those memory care communities and I think at that point we figured out when we were talking, you, you were running some of the activity programs. Exactly. Yeah. We, I spent a lot of time making sure that people living with dementia had quality programming and support. And my favorite thing to do was paint nails, which 
you know, was something that helped keep the residents and um, individuals calm and engaged. So I loved participating in all those programs. You know, I, I, I as I listen to you and I listen about your experience that um, working in senior living communities and started so young, you know, I know that when we, and I know this is for, true for myself, um, when I was discovered, I discovered when I was going through my journey with my mom, and it was just, it was a, it was a part of myself that I really hadn't discovered till I'd gone through that with her, was how important it was and how meaningful it was to get a smile from her. Um, and it just made the difference in, I know her day in my day. And it's just that, maybe that's simple. And then as, as time went on and I started to spend more time with her in these different communities and interacting with other seniors, um, you know, I, I think it just, for people that really, that really inspires them and really makes a difference, those are the folks we really are, are so excited about recruiting here at Open Arms. Mm -hmm. Because there is, there are, and there are, we have an amazing team of people. I'm incredibly proud of them. Um, but that's a characteristic. Compassion is one of our core values. And, you know, whether it's empathy or compassion, it's just that being able to feel so great about giving to a senior and making a difference in their lives. And so I definitely heard that in your description. Uh, so how, how, what brought you to your current role at Family Services of Glencoe? So before I arrived at Family Service of Glencoe, they did a needs assessment for the community. And Family Service of Glencoe has been around for 107 years and really focused on, they are the social service agency for the community. But there was a gap. The seniors, the older adults were not part of that. They had a senior uh, discussion group, which we still have going on that meets once a month and now on Zoom. But there was a need. So they created this position and I thought it was a great way to get involved. And I've been there for three and a half years. I work with every older adult and their family member who needs me in the community, even though they may not know they need me. I, you know, I'm available if I get a lot of calls, random calls about, you know, who they trust for a handyman or if I'll come over and um, talk about, you know, end of life stuff. So I'm kind of available for any need for someone 65 and older and just kind of working through the aging process in general. I also work closely with the village of Glencoe. So if they have residents that they're concerned about, we'll work together and brainstorm about safety plans um, closely with Glencoe Public Safety as well. I serve as a crisis response worker and I am go out to homes and help support individuals living with the disease and their loved ones, anything from wandering related issues to having issues with caregivers or, you know, arguments between the person living and their care partner, you know, if it's bathing issues to just safety. Uh, I'll also go to the hospital to meet seniors to make sure the transport goes well and make sure that they're supported. That's great. <clears throat> and it's so important. <clears throat> and I'm imagining that there are um, people who are listening today that really didn't know that communities would offer this kind of important service. And what you and I were talking about just before we went live this morning is you work very closely with your peers in neighboring communities. So it, it, it really, it's from what I understand and, you know, communities like Highland Park and Northbrook and, and it, I don't know if it's the majority of communities in the area, but many have social workers in a role mm -hmm. similar to yours. 
Yes, we do. We have, we're very blessed to have the resources and in many police departments, there are police social workers that so we do connect around cases. You know, wandering is a huge issue for people living with dementia. We've had quite a few people, unfortunately, um, have really poor outcomes. And I think we need more education. A couple of years ago, I was part of the group that went to Springfield to lobby for the Silver Alert program. We have an Amber Alert program, but when seniors go missing, it's called Silver Alert. And there's an alert, you know, on the screen when you drive down into the city and they let those be known. So I was part of that lobbying process for Silver Alert with in Springfield. That was a great experience. And I think the power of social work and something that I teach my interns all the time, like keep that Rolodex of contacts. You never know who you're going to need. You never know what's going to come across your desk and and what resources you're going to need for your clients, for the families that you're working with. So I really try to maintain those relationships in case I, I need that support for, for my clients. Yeah, you know, that's that was kind of a lesson I learned when I started the company 14 years ago is when you go into a family and they have a need and it may not, and often it's not the need you can provide, but you really feel compelled to find that solution. I mean, it's really our responsibility to find that solution. So really being able to branch out and find out resources are just, it's incredibly important for what we do. So. Of course, and not just giving them a phone number to say, good luck, you wanna make sure the person on the other end knows how to help them and knows yeah. that they're gonna be put in good hands. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we're going to talk about the topic is, um, how to, how to, uh, develop a more, uh, dementia friendly community. Just, just some stats that I know you're, I'm imagining you're familiar with very well, Emily. Uh, but some things that, uh, just for some folks that might not know, um, currently there are over 6 million Americans living with some form of, well, it's actually Alzheimer's disease specifically. Mm -hmm. There's a larger number that are working with the different types of dementias and Alzheimer's is one type of dementia, as you well know, and, but the dementia is an umbrella term. So there's vascular dementia, which you shared, touched you personally. And um, there are all sorts of frontal lobe, temporal lobe dementias, all sorts of different kinds of dementias. So that number I imagine is much larger than 6 million. Mm -hmm. And um, forecast to more than double by 2050. And as, as much research and work that's going into this, as you know, there's no cure at this point. Um, so it's, a, it's really an epidemic. You know, those of us that work with in the industry understand that it's an epidemic. And it's uh, so this topic of creating a dementia-friendly community will only become more and more important as time goes on. So can you describe from your perspective what it means to, what you mean by developing a more dementia-friendly community? Of course. So in 2015, the Dementia-Friendly America initiative began. It started in Minnesota. And since then, it's really taken course across the country. Currently, there are 19 communities in Illinois that are dementia-friendly communities. Um, the Austin neighborhood just was recognized um, just recently. So a dementia-friendly community is a place where people living with a dementia and their care partners are included, are engaged, are, you know, 
are part of the planning process and they're active members. I mean, you think about someone living with dementia in the community, their ability to navigate, their depth perception, maybe how they articulate their needs is challenged in many ways. So how can they go into the world? How can they go into the local Walgreens or the bank and make sure the person re responding to their need allows them the time and the space to articulate what they need? Or if they're acting differently than normal, how is that person going to know what to do? How are they going to help them? Um, you know, there's that big thing of see something, say something. We, you know, if someone is walking down the street and it's 90 degrees out and they're wearing a winter coat, maybe they're wandered away from home. So I, I think we sometimes don't want to take on the stress or the burden of our neighbors because it's a lot. But a lot of times we can intervene and be so helpful um, in ways that we don't even know how. I also believe that dementia-friendly communities can be more inclusive by the way they design the spaces. You know, having access, having larger print on the menus. Um, a lot of times uh, a black mat, you know, a, a little small rug. For someone living with dementia, that could look like a hole in the wall, in the floor. So being aware of how our, our um, environment contributes or, you know, helps someone living with dementia live a fulfilling, good quality of life. That's great. You know, you mentioned when we were talking about this session uh, yesterday, um, that one of the things that contrib contributes is the training mm -hmm. of police, which I thought was really important. Um, can you describe a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, um, so part of the movement is called Dementia Friends, and it's a really easy 15 minute, you go on the website, you follow through their steps and you get a certificate. So one of our goals for Dementia Friendly Glencoe, we became a dementia friendly community in 2019, and we had all our public, Glencoe public safety officers trained. So they are all dementia friends. And then um, I, I actually live in Deerfield and all of the Deerfield police department are dementia friends as well. And I think it helps with just engaging questions to ask. I, I think language is key. You know, I really work on people when they say someone's suffering from dementia to changing the language that they're living, that they're care partners, not caregivers. You know, a partner means you're there working together versus caregiving, you're doing the work. And so someone with the disease is still part of the plan of care. Um, so the officers are really trained, the ones that I work with particularly, to pick up on behaviors, um, recognizing, asking the right questions, kind of understanding where they are orientation-wise. Um, many times, if there is an instance of wandering or concern, a lot the officers and I will go out to the home and talk to the family and kind of look at, assess the environment, um, make sure that they're safe, making sure that they have um, interventions in place that the person can still live at home and allow the care partner or family member to feel good about um, how the person navigates the space that they're living in. Sure. I think that, uh, you know, I think that the, um, you know, the statistics and, you know, I'm sure you've gone through education as I have too about the risk of elopement. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the thing that's so challenging, and I had my, my family member elope and it was just the most frightening thing in the world. Um, and I think I shared with you, she lived in uh, Lincolnshire and uh, you know, you get that call. We actually got a call from our caregiver who said, 
you know, Mitzi's not in the house and it's just sheer panic. Of course. And knowing what I know about people who elope, I mean, unfortunately, uh, especially in, 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 you know, the winter and really tough weather, most people are found, you know, very close to the home, mm-hmm. you know, they, and, uh, all too often it's a very sad outcome. Um, and so when you described, if you see it, say it, or something looks, mm-hmm. just doesn't look right. You know, I know, I think in our society today in general, we don't necessarily, you know, we're worried about interfering or butting in or not being appropriate. But I appreciate what you said. I think the, the, the first concern is safety for seniors. So if they're not, doesn't seem like they're dressed appropriately or they're, um, you know, they're, they're just seem a little flustered. Um, go and say something. My husband and I were walking through uh, the forest preserves at uh, Fort Sheridan, which are lovely. And this uh, lovely woman, silver haired woman, I'm guessing she was in her 80s, um, was by herself. Just, they, you know, look, it was gorgeous. And she was looking out in at Lake Michigan. Right. And I, I hesitated and I, you know, I thought, I, oh, I don't want to, you know, make her feel bad. I, but I, but I walked up to her and I said, Hey, I'm just checking. Is everything okay? And she was as warm and wonderful and she was perfectly fine. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I knew that I did the right thing by checking in. And I think the challenge, like you said, is do we want to interfere? We, we don't. And it's asking the right questions. And, and yeah. many of us are comfortable asking those questions. I mean, Everyone laughs when they see me. If I see someone struggling with folding their walker at a restaurant, like I'll run over and fold it for them because that's just my comfort. But um, we've worked, I worked with the public safety officers in Glencoe to ask the certain questions. So if there is a wandering issue to ask, you know, where does the person think they are in their lifespan? So if the person has wandered out, do they think they're still working? Do they think they're 30? So then we can kind of figure out where they went. They usually go in the direction of their dominant hand. So they usually will turn right. A lot of times they'll go towards water and Glencoe's right off Lake Michigan, which is similar to people who are diagnosed with autism as well. And they don't, like you said, they don't go far, but they do, you know, a lot of the outcomes do not turn out very well. So asking the right questions, you know, where do they think, where do they believe they are in their stage of life? And what are their interests? What do they typically do? What time of day do they usually go to this place? So trying to gather that information to kind of direct how we find the person. Many times they have come back, but it's just a really important. Those are really important questions to ask. So I made a a list of questions for the officers to use when they go out on those calls. That's great. Uh, so what does it look like? We were ta- what does it look like for people who have dementia? How do you? We were talking a little bit about this yesterday, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, you asked about questions, but I think a lot of us have a stereotype. I know I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of younger people that have dementia. So can you describe that? What 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 was someone with dementia, you know, age, other characteristics? Of course. And I, and I think what you said, we talked about yesterday, and the fact is when we envision someone living with this disease, we think of like someone in the nursing home, you know, doesn't recognize their children, unable to 
um, feed themselves maybe, but there are plenty of people living in our community that we don't even know have a dementia diagnosis that they might not even know they have a dementia diagnosis. So as you mentioned, uh, frontal temporal dementias tend to get people six, hit people 65 and younger. So those individuals, you know, you would never know. And it's not their memory that's impaired. It's their impulsivity, their executive functioning, their judgment. Um, so you're not dealing with someone who can't tell you what day of the week it is. You're dealing with someone who will go buy three cars at the car lot because they have no nothing in their their head telling them, hey, this is not appropriate. I don't need to buy three cars. So I think the the person living with the disease is different and doesn't look like what we think. And I think a lot of times, um, you know, we have to be knowledgeable about, you know, how is how are they articulating their needs, if they're dressed appropriately, um, if they're forgetful, if they seem disheveled. I think we have to just pick up on other signs that may other things may be going on. But I think the face of dementia doesn't look like the face of dementia. I mean, the biggest factor, the biggest risk factor is age. But after that, you know, we all are, we all have chances of having Alzheimer's disease and related dementia. So I think it's really important to know the different types, um, learn about them, educate yourself. I think education, knowledge is, is, is key. It's power to understanding everything. So the more we understand about the types, the more, um, we are responding to individuals living with it. Yeah, that's uh, important information to share. Um, so you actually go on calls with police officers, right? Mm -hmm. What kinds of things do you see when you go on calls? Can you give some examples of things that you see and the police officer sees related to, you know, going to seniors' homes and of might course. help people be educated to think about their own families? Yeah, so um, in one particular case, uh, we had an individual a woman who never got an official diagnosis. Another challenge is people who do have dementia who never get an official diagnosis, which is challenging for the whole family system, just kind of planning ahead and knowing the course and making sure you have a team. I really am about having a team of support, helping uh, the family navigate. So this individual was never officially diagnosed, but she had a caregiver and she didn't recognize her caregiver many times. And she would call the police every time. And and so because I had a relationship with her, the officers had me go out to mediate and kind of navigate for her, reassure her. She knew who I was, but they kept sending new caregivers every week and she didn't trust them or they weren't trained. I mean, I think you are aware of how important training is for caregivers you know, hired caregivers. So this woman would say things like, I, I was trying to say, oh, your caregiver is friends with your other caregiver. You're, she's out because she had to run an errand. And the caregiver looked at me and said, I don't know her caregiver. And I said, why would you say that? You know, kind of the therapeutic fibs, you know, anything that's comforting um, that doesn't cause pain is really important. So in that call, the officers just had me come out and kind of um, facilitate that conversation, diffuse, and we were able to get come to a good place and ended up the family came out and took her to lunch and we kind of redirected for a while. So that was one situation. Other time is, you know, a care partner is burned out and, you yeah. know, they're aging as well and aging at a different pace, you know, a little bit slower than the person living with the disease. And it's, it's enough. And the fall, a lot of falls and trips to the hospital. So I'll come out and just introduce myself and I'm here, I'm here to support, I'm here to give resources and just making sure as the disease progresses, either if the person chooses to stay at home, that we have 
adaptations and, you know, it, um, we, it, we create a community at home that's safe, you know, getting a hospital bed in or, you know, getting a lift chair or if it's finding the right community for them to move to. So I kind of help facilitate all of those. And in the first point of context, really, the officers to kind of direct me to the homes that are in, most in need. Those are some good examples. You know, I, I, I think that's what's really important is, um, you know, education and understanding the wear and tear and stress on family members uh, and edu and how important educating family members is. I've sat on uh, some different committees in senior living with leaders of different senior living uh, communities. And when asked, what are your biggest challenges when you're working with people with dementia? And it was uniformly working with their families and helping their families through it. And sometimes, and I know I was absolutely guilty of this before, you know, I, I started open arms and my mom was, went to Gidwitz and, mm -hmm. and excuse me, the friend center. Um, you know, I was, I was in denial about her disease. You know, here was an incredibly intelligent, politically active woman, and now I wasn't really willing to accept her, her current situation, why she kept asking me questions over and over again, and why she would get very agitated and frustrated and couldn't remember how to use a microwave. I just didn't understand it. And I was really very um, apt to just not ultimately not believe it. And what we have found when we went around and talked to the senior living leaders in the community, that was the one of the main challenges is family members in denial family members not understanding the disease mm -hmm. of dementia, the different kinds of dementias, the progressions, and the fact that ultimately it, it's not curable. And if people don't understand it, it makes it so much more difficult to, um, if you don't understand the disease, if you understand the disease, it's still very, very, very difficult and trying. You know, and uh, But if someone keeps asking you, what time is it? What time is it? What day mm -hmm. it is? and you do understand that something physically is going on in the brain that's causing that, I think, and I've gotten feedback and I believe and it was true for me too, it's easier to understand. And if you get techniques and strategies, um, you mentioned, you know, therapeutic lie, there's just yeah. different kinds of techniques that can help, you know, family caregivers through this through the incredible um, challenge. And then the other thing that you mentioned that you provide um, at Family Services of Glencoe is the uh, counseling and support for family members. Uh, you know, their worlds, they're suffering, in my opinion, mm -hmm. as much or more than the perfect person that actually has the disease. You know, your, your partner is different. Mm -hmm. Your responsibilities are more. And so, um, I think for all of us that care for seniors with dementia or anyone with dementia, um, really trying to put ourselves in the, their shoes and their family member's shoes is, and listening and understanding and being there for them is such an important role. So the, the um, counseling you do is so important. Um, can you talk a little bit about in the few minutes that we have left, you know, the kind of counseling you you have done 
and you do mm -hmm. have family services and other yeah. people do in the community that could be helpful to family of members? Of course. You know, I think the challenge with having a dementia diagnosis for your loved one is you're grieving a loss. You know, you're grieving the person they once were and you're redefining your role, especially if it's a spouse. You know, I've sat with so many, you know, I used to run a support group for mostly women care partners and their husbands, um, struggling and they just said this is no longer my partner i can't brainstorm ideas i can't process you know our challenges our children's struggles i don't know how to navigate i don't know how to do bill paying i don't know how to drive the car i mean especially the older generation where the the roles are really defined much more than i think the younger generations have but yeah. the counseling is a lot about you know grief and loss um how to maintain that relationship you know, I always encourage care partners to be the care partner, to still be the husband or wife and not be the caregiver. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to toilet them, you don't have to. Let's find a resource. Um, you know, I want to maintain that those boundaries. Um, I watched my grandmother care for my grandfather who had Alzheimer's and we talked about um, self-care. I mean, my grandmother unfortunately passed away shortly thereafter because she just invested so much of her life in his care and it was just heartbreaking so a lot of it is redefining your roles going through that loss and the grief of just losing your partner and what you used to have and also when it hits younger when they're in their 50s or 60s loss thinking about what you thought your retirement was going to look like mm -hmm. what you wanted to do as a couple yeah. you're you're having to put that all aside and redirecting energy and understanding the disease is so important with that. And I agree that the families are the biggest challenge. And when I used to run my memory cares and I would, you know, have to say that the person needed the memory care versus the, they would act like I, you know, I'm not seeing what they see. And I keep saying, if you put people in an environment that's more appropriate, kind of like the dementia friendly community, they're going to be more successful they're going to strive. So if they're able to be more independent in a mm -hmm. space that is understanding of their diagnosis, mm -hmm. they're going to have a better quality of life. Absolutely. That's so important. Very well said. Hey, there's a viewer question. Um, do other cities in the Chicago area provide similar services? Who would be a good first contact if someone has concerns for their loved ones? So every community is different. Um, Many times there are senior centers that are a great place to start in the area. I would reach out to the senior center in your local community. Your township has resources as well. We have great townships and um, people are happy. You're happy to email me. I can direct you to contacts in the area if you're looking for resources and, res and support. That's great. And I think your email information is below. Um, so for people watching, how do you get an action team together to create a dementia-friendly community? Well, I think it takes, you know, every community is so different. So every community is very is designed differently. It, it, it runs differently. So I would try to get together all the key leaders, the key players. It could be the mayor, the village manager, uh, the chief of police, the fire chief. The park district, we have our school, our, our school superintendent, District 35, Dr. Catherine Wang. We are, she is on board. The kids are even participating in our dementia-friendly um, initiative. So I would get in all those key leaders, the clergy, whomever is an active and vocal person and has a little pull and start there. 
kind of defining what the issues are, the problems, areas of strengths and areas of limitations and gaps. And I would I would start with those key those key leaders. Great suggestion. Well, Emily, we're we're out of time. Flew by. <laughs> it did. It did. I mean, thank you for being on board. It's such a great topic, an important topic. Thank you so much for the work you do. I am sure you make a big difference in the lives of the families in uh, in Glencoe and in Deerfield, which is also my community. So thank you for everything you do in Deerfield. Um, it's been a pleasure getting to know you a little bit better. And thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, Julie.